On this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Reese Jones, who is really one of the most celebrated golf architects in um, U.S. golf history. Of course, his dad was the famous golf architect, Robert Trent Jones Sr., so it's uh, fair to say that Rees was sort of born into the game of golf. And um, after uh, going to Yale, where he played on the team uh, and doing some graduate work uh, in design at Harvard and Berkeley, he joined his dad's firm. Uh, but uh, after working with his dad um, oh, for about eight or nine years, he started his own design firm nearly 50 years ago, and he has had quite the career. He's designed and renovated more than 270 golf courses in his career, um, and he has earned the moniker The Open Doctor for all of his work in preparing so many courses for various major championships, not just the U.S. Open, but PGAs and Ryder Cups and the like. Uh, and... Uh, he really has won every award, I think, that there is uh, for uh, golf architects. Uh, the old Tom Morris Award uh, that the GCSAA gives, the Donald Ross Award that um, the American Society of Golf Course Architects gives, the Donald Rossi Award, the Golf Course Builders Association of America gives, inducted into various Hall of Fames, really a stellar career. So we talk with Reese about his career and, and including the challenges of a renovation versus an original design, what makes a great design in a golf hole, and how he manages to take these um, tracks that he works on for major championships and manages to keep them, um, make them challenging for the best players in the world while still keeping them playable for members, which um, he does such a wonderful job at. Um, and Torrey Pines, I suppose, being a particularly good example that we talk at length about. So all of that and more up next uh, with Reese Jones on this episode of Larry the Golf Guy. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am so pleased and honored today to have with us the great Reese Jones, um, was one of the great golf architects of our time. Uh, Reese, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. So um, just to kind of give people some context and go back to the beginning, of course, your son of renowned golf course architect, Robert Trent Jones Sr., born in Montclair, New Jersey, raised there. Um, so fair to say you were kind of born into the game of golf. But maybe if you could just tell our listeners kind of how and when you were first introduced to the game. Well, I was um, uh, born really to kind of a slow economic time. Uh, World War II came, and then uh, the beauty of the time that I grew up, uh, everybody was on pretty much an equal footing because everybody came out of the Depression, Second World War. Right. Uh, and so we traveled with my dad wherever he had a job. He got some jobs during the Depression. That was before I was born. Um, but afterwards, his jobs were mostly local. Uh, so wherever we took a vacation, it was where dad was uh, doing a a redo or building a golf course. Um, so it was, a, it was a great time to grow up. And then dad really put a golf club in my hand, although I was more of a baseball player than I was a golfer at that time. Um, so I learned how to play the game when I was young, uh, which turned out to be a great attribute to become a golf course architect. 
Absolutely. So did you, I, I know we'll get to Yale in a second, uh, but did you play junior golf much growing up competitively at all in New Jersey? I played a lot of junior golf. I wasn't really the greatest golfer, but I almost qualified for the USGA juniors twice. I, I led wow. one year when I was 16, I led until the end and then took the triple bogey and, and didn't wow. make it because I, I couldn't get out of the bunker. I still remember the shot. Wow. And then the, the next year I finished third um, and um, they only had one spot. And that went to a guy named Jay Siegel, uh, who oh, eventually wow. won the USJ Junior in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor a couple years later. So and Jay Siegel lapped the field. So coming in third. So I was the second alternate, but that didn't get me to the uh, USJ Junior and um, played Metropolitan Juniors, uh, New Jersey State Juniors. And um, and I, I never really worried about the competition. It was just sort of part of my life, uh, which made golf uh, a little less stressful. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny you mentioned Jay, because we've had Jeff Kitty on from Aronimink, and we're um, hopeful to get Jay on uh, with Jeff's help. But finishing behind Jay Siegel, one of the great amateurs of all time, is is not too shabby. So you go on to Yale, um, and I know you just missed the freshman team by a stroke, but you end up playing, I think, as a senior, and you're 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 playing at the Yale Golf Course, which um, I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, um, uh, went to your rival, so played matches there in college, great golf course. Um, what was that like for you to play Yale? Um, I know you were ultimately on the team and went to the NCAAs as a senior, but just, I'm curious, such a great, you know, CB McDonald, Seth Rayner course at Yale. What was that like for you? Um, and did that have any influence on you as you look back as an architect? Well, since you're Larry the golf guy, you, you understand that, that a lot of people just play golf from point A to point B. Right. Um, I don't think uh, when you're uh, 19 years old, golf courses intimidate you as much as they do when you're 39 or 59. That's true. <laughs> um, so I think we just accepted the Yale golf course. Um, I did miss the freshman team by a stroke or so. Basically, I traveled with the team. I was an alternate. I managed the team. I managed both the freshman team and the regular team. My junior year, they asked me because I was playing pretty well uh, with the team to play in the NCAAs at Duke, which is, of course, designed by my father. And um, again, uh, it, it didn't worry me that I was going to go up against the best in the world. Uh, I didn't do that. Well, I didn't qualify for the match play, but it was a a very, very enlightening experience and really helped me in the game of golf for the rest of my life. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, uh, so you're you're there, you're at Yale, uh, involved with the team, as you say, playing. What point, as you think back, did you kind of know, hey, this is golf architecture, golf course architecture is what I'm going to do for my profession. Was there, as you look back, was there a particular time when you sort of remember, yeah, this is definitely the road I'm going to head down? Yes, um, to some degree at, at that era, uh, a lot of my friends followed their father's footsteps. Um, my, my lawyer buddies followed their father who were lawyers. My doctor buddies followed their fathers who were doctors. So uh, we were introduced, both my brother and myself, uh, to golf course architecture, which really was not really much of a profession at the time. It was sort right. of a, 
uh, like Charles Blair McDonald designed golf courses and never got paid for them and never asked to be paid. Right. So my father turned it into a profession and uh, we were a part of that because we did travel uh, with him, as I said before. Um, so when I was a junior at Yale, um, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I, uh, I went to Seton Hall and took the math re requirements so I could get into the Harvard School of Design, um, which was probably my most enjoyable academic year um, ever the next year because um, uh, I did so well because I was really engaged. Um, and then uh, went to Cal University of California, Berkeley, to the School of Environmental Design. Uh, but I really didn't learn golf architecture until I started working with my father. Because like at Cal Berkeley, I was in one class being hammered by the professors, and I was upstairs teaching people how to integrate a golf course into a real estate development. So as a, a teacher <laughs> as well as a student, but wow. as a teacher, I was respected. As a student, I was hammered. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love it. That's great. So you mentioned joining your dad's firm, which I think was in 1965 as a principal. And, and again, you know, our listeners, I'm sure where, of course, your dad's phenomenal career, really kind of one of the foundational people, as you're kind of alluding to in the whole golf architecture field. Um, he that was sort of, you know, kind of at the height of his career in the 50s and 60s. And you're joining it um, in, in 65. What was it like? For you to work with your dad i know you had traveled with him so now but you're actually working with him what was that like and as you look back what do you feel like you learned from him that was helpful in your career as a golf architect well dad uh the beauty of it my father had very significant jobs and he had the first client that really wanted to do things right lawrence rockefeller yeah right <clears throat> um building the golf courses for rock resorts mona kea Dorado Beach, Fountain Valley, um, Woodstock, and he and uh, he did all of Lawrence Rockefeller's jobs, and so we learned how to do it correctly because Dad had the wherewithal and the clients that wanted to, a great golf course, but also wanted to build it correctly. So I had a guy named Bill Baldwin, who was my father's construction guy, really taught me how to build a golf course, and you really can't design a golf course unless you know how to build it. And every site is different, and we'll get into that later, but um, it's you go to the mountains, you build a different type of golf course. You go to the beach, you build a different type of golf course, and there's different conditions, and, and you have to kind of adjust to every condition of every site. And I think that's what I learned from my father at that time. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, you, you mentioned, um, and I'm going to just reach back here on my... Uh shelf of golf books um and you know the great biography of your dad by james hansen a difficult par and and he talks uh in the book about lawrence rockefeller and the work they did and just what comes to mind listening to you is of course mauna kea and you know that iconic par three you know which is over the lagoon there but that's like an example i would suppose of a site with all the rocks that were there and how they had to build it Kind of illustrating what you're you're alluding to that you know different sites have different challenges right well and then when, when my father got that site with that par three um he was over the top and i used to go there with him when i was in college and after college um because a lot of my buddies from yale from hawaii and i visited with them and uh, i was there when 
Mr. Rockefeller introduced the site to my father. Oh, wow. And and I've been fortunate, like Danzante Bay in Mexico, I've got a par three uh, that's much like that, maybe even better. It's more of a peninsula. And then I, uh, uh, Playa Grande in, in uh, the Dominican, I went and redid my father's course twice. It's a Discovery Land project and yeah. has an Amman Hotel. So I got a couple of great sites like that. Uh, but when you got a great site, um, it's like uh, manna from heaven for golf course architecture. I, I bet. So, um, so you're working with your dad for a while, and then um, you go out on your own in um, finding your founding your own firm in 1974, um, 50 years ago. As we look back on it, of course, you've had an unbelievably successful career um, for the last 50 years on your own. <laughs> 260 amazing number 260 more than 260 golf courses designing or renovating won every award there is to win in golf architecture but i want to sort of take you back when you first started on your own in 74 um 33 years old um were you any concerns about gee am i going to be able to make it on my own or what were those early years like for you when you went out on your own well i had two small children and um, in fact, when I went on my own, my youngest daughter, Amy, had just been born um, and I didn't have many expenses. Um, so it was a very good time. It was a slow time in golf architecture. So it was good for um, the people that are hiring golf course architects to find out that I was on my own. And um, and then I got some uh, small jobs, small remodeling jobs. And that's the way most golf architects start. And then... Uh, moved into uh, more significant jobs. And I'd say <clears throat> doing the Country Club redo for 1988 was a, the 1988 US Open was a big deal. But before that, I did a lot of uh, new golf courses. And I think Piners number seven uh, helped vault my career to be chosen to do one of the Piners golf courses. Right. Uh, was really quite a, a, a wonderful experience for me. And they gave me a great site, and uh, I dedicated myself to it. So uh, that's how you you gain your notoriety. And then when I did Brookline, it was so successful that it vaulted me into my father's uh, notoriety as far as being the open doctor. Yeah, and we're going to get to the open doctor, of course. Your moniker with, for all the great work you've done over the years for not just the U.S. Open, PGA sites, Ryder Cup sites, et cetera. But um just before we sort of get into that, I'm just sort of curious as you, um, this is kind of a, a, a tough question, I suppose, because I know it depends so much on the site, but do you have kind of a philosophy in terms of what you would say, what's a great design in a golf hole or a golf course? When you look at a golf course, what makes it, you know, stand out to you as a great design? I think that's a great question, Larry. Is, um, I think a great design is a, a golf course and a golf hole where you have to think your way around the golf course. You have to strategize it. Um, I think there's, with well, the way the players on the tour are hitting it now, there's less strategy. They're hitting, it's a driving gouge game. But right. when I came in, they're hitting five irons in the par fours when I was uh, getting into the, uh, the golf course architecture field. <clears throat> I think that, um, you know, that the fact the way they're setting up the U.S. Open now, they're getting back to the narrower fairways and the significant rough and trees are 
a factor. Um, they always have been as far as championship golf. Uh, so I think that um, I also wanted to make sure that every uh, U.S. Open course I worked on was still playable by the members or by the public. Um, or it's like in the case with Best Page Black, there are other golf courses that mere mortals could play. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, there, when you have a chance like a Best Page Black, you can really build a very formidable test. And not one single pro who's ever played in the tournaments there, they're going to play the Ryder Cup there next year, complained about Beth Plays Black because it was hard but fair. And um, the, But the everyday player had several other golf courses to play. It's much like the TPCs. Uh, they have other golf courses to play, uh, even though they play the one that tests them. Right, exactly. And, you know, Beth Plays Black, of course, has that famous sign, you know, that only highly skilled golfers should be venturing on to... Beth plays back. It's such a such a great test. Um, I you know I mentioning that I started thinking about some of the great architects, Tillinghast, etc. I'm sort of curious, um, and obviously your dad's in that group. But what sort of architects or style of courses do you admire the most? And I mean, is there any one architect that you think has maybe had the biggest influence on you as you've gone about your work? Well, I think I think Tilly has had the most influence on me uh, because I worked on Ridgewood, I worked on Best Plays Black, I worked on Ball to Stroll. I played those courses as a as a junior golfer, and um, Tilly has really had shot options, and I think that's what I emphasize more than anything else: um, the shot options and the place to bail out from trouble, or if you hit miss hit your tee shot, a place to hit the ball short of the green or right of the green and then recover from there. And Tilly has always had sort of a, an ability to go for the pin if it was hidden behind the bunker or uh, have access to an open entrance that was a less of a difficult shot, but at the same time left you a longer putt and possible three putt. Um, so Tilly has was probably my uh, model because I played um, a lot of the golf courses that he designed when, because he did a lot of work in the New York metropolitan area. Right. Um, when my father was in his prime, they used to bunker the fronts of all the greens. They, they, they turned it into an aerial game because right. um, Augusta National was the model with the elevated greens and uh, slopes around the greens as bunkers around the greens. And whereas Tilly has had more low profile greens where you could bounce the ball in as well as fly it in. Right. And I think that um, that's what made my golf courses so popular for the everyday player and yet so capable of hosting a major championship yeah no that makes perfect sense so let's uh you you alluded to um brookline and your your uh famous moniker of being the open doctor for all the great work you've done preparing so many courses for major <clears throat> championships let's maybe get into that you i know brookline was your first assignment um but you've had many many others of course over the years um you know, I'm sort of curious about a few things. When you do a renovation or a restoration, you know, as you're doing when you're you're um, doing your practices as the open doctor, um, how does that compare to doing your own original design? I mean, I just look at it. Obviously, I'm no golf architect, but it must be a different kind of pressure, maybe, or difficulty because you're dealing with someone else's design. You don't have a blank canvas that you're doing something from scratch. Um, is that more challenging to sort of try to 
work with an existing course than building something from scratch? Um, yeah, there's more scrutiny. Um, the members uh, really uh, evaluate what you did because they were used to playing the, um, the, the, the original or the changed iteration. And um, then you restored. But Brookline was a true restoration. We left everything there uh, that uh, really hadn't been changed. <clears throat> and we changed that we built the new 17th green, which obviously was made famous in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Uh, new first green, new fourth green. Uh, we found bunkers that had been filled in and, and got a backhoe and dug them out. Uh, we, we got the length back. We got the width back. We put the bunkers where they uh, should be for today's place. So we not only did we restore it, but we brought it into today's capabilities. And um, I think uh, th that was really the first American restoration, right. which has led to a lot of restoration since. Uh, but to some degree, uh, restoration is a word that gets projects passed, but then uh, the, the, the actual restoration becomes in a more of a modernization. Right. No, that makes sense. And of course, that was a tremendously successful U.S. Open um, 75th anniversary of Francis Wiemet's victory. So it makes sense that the 88 Open there and um, you know, it was one of Curtis. <clears throat> and the number one team. player, Curtis Strange. Right. Kurt, exactly. Beats Faldo. One, and, went, right. and I went up to him when he three putted the 17th green that I built. And uh, he um, and I, I said, Curtis, why didn't you blame me? I said, you could have been like Ben Hogan blaming my father at Oakland Hills. Why didn't you blame me? I mean, I would have I would have been on the headlines with you because it was my fault, you three, buddy, because that was bent grass instead of Poana. So, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I never heard that grand. story. I remember the three putt on 17. I had never heard yeah. that story. That's funny. Um, and um, ends up having to win it in a playoff. And yeah, he was the number one player. He great U.S. Open player, right? That year. And then, of course, Oak Hill the next year. Great iron player. Great player. Um, you know, I want to talk, you mentioned Ben Hogan, your dad, of course, which brings up Oakland Hills. Um, and um, a couple of the courses that you did your open doctor renovations on were Oakland Hills South and Hazeltine, which, you know, are two of your father's more noteworthy uh, designs. Um, was and, and of course, closer here, I'm sitting here in L.A., El Cab, um, wonderful golf course in the Valley, which is going to have the USGA Girls Junior next summer. Um, another one I, you <clears throat> renovated um, that your dad, I think, originally designed. Is it harder at all doing renovation on something, you know, your dad did? Uh, or does that alter anything in your mind or is it no different than any of the other renovations you did? <clears throat> well, you're saying psychologically. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it's easier. Physically, it's easier because um, I learned from my father. He was probably the best at green contours uh, as far as uh, making the green contour uh, part a hazard uh, and requiring you to hit uh, near the near the hole in order to have the birdie opportunity. And if you hit away from the hole, you had a good chance of a three putt. Um and so I've done a lot of my father's courses over Bell Reeve, uh, right. Atlanta Athletic Club, right. um, right. Duke, um, Golden Horseshoe. Um, right. So uh, Hazeltine, obviously. Uh, but uh, and El Cab is one of my father's that I redid that I visited with him when I worked with him in the summers. So I oh, was wow. there when okay. he did it originally. 
Wow. Um, so I would say to some degree, and I think Bell Reeve may be one of the greatest championship golf courses in this country. And St. Louis is a, a phenomenal sports town. And when Brute, when Kepka beat Tiger in that yeah. PGA a few years ago, that was as exciting as it gets. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's one of my favorite golf courses I've redone of my father's. That has unusual grass, right? It's the Zoysia grass that's there or uh, Bell Reeve? They I keep remember, changing right? the grasses, but yeah. uh, yes, it has Zoysia grass. Yeah, uh, which you don't see that often. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and of course, Oakland Hills, you know, you're alluding to Ben Hogan bringing the monster to its knees. I mean, mm -hmm. that was your father really modernized that, right? I mean, you maybe tell her brought the bunkers more into play, pinched the fairways. That was a really tough test of golf. Well, what uh, what really happened at Oakland Hills is that um, a lot of courses have sort of been uh, deteriorated during the Depression and Second World right. War. Right. Was chosen for the 1951 U.S. Open, and Joe Dye, my father, went in there to bring it back to life. And um, in doing so, he wanted to build, make the ultimate championship test, and that's what he did. And that led to future redos of major championship venues because the game changes when the equipment changes when the ball gets better uh my dad was worried about length when they uh when the steel shaft came into effect and right and the ball started getting high everybody's been worried about length so it's nothing new this is way back in the 1950s that they're worried about the ball going too far so um he lengthened them he put the bunkers where they where the ball would land uh he, he hid the pin more uh when i did tory pines though uh, I really hid the pin on the back of the greens, whereas my father used to hide the pin in the front of the greens behind bunkers. But once they got the ball improved and it spun so much, the front hole location that my dad protected was easier to access than the back location. So that's why Torrey Pines turned into be such a great U.S. Open venue when Tiger Woods and John Rahm were the successful victors because uh, Torrey Pines plays very, very well because of the back hole locations and the angles and you can hide it because the angle of the green and the green contours. So I think, uh, and they don't release the ball to the, to the, the hole. They drop it in on a dime and stop it or spin it. So the back hole locations today's game, I think are harder than the front hole locations. That makes, I actually had never heard that before. That makes perfect sense though. That's very, very interesting, interesting aspect. You know, you you just uh, want to pick up on something you just touched on in terms of, you know, the ever-increasing length people hit the ball, the increasing athleticism, changing technology. Um, and so you're, as you're alluding to, need to grapple with all that when you're trying to do a Torrey Pines, you know, or, or something that is going to be a test for today's um, golfers who hit the ball so darn far. So you're toughening the course up, making it um, a real challenge for those type of players. But, you know, those are people who are going to visit the course once a year, um, maybe less than once a year if it's a major tournament here at, you know, Riviera, which is around the corner from me, you know, once a year. And so I'm curious, how are you sort of make, how are you able to sort of renovate these courses, build these courses that are challenging enough for the top players in the world, but yet are playable for members who are the ones who are going to be playing it for, you know, the vast majority of the time. That's a great question. And I think Torrey Pines is probably the best example. Um, 
we redid that in 2001, com completely rebuilt the golf course, moved the greens to the canyons, uh, moved the greens to the ocean, um, you know, basically added the length, uh, rebunkered the whole golf course, rebuilt every green and recontoured every green, built greens on angles, uh, diagonal greens. Uh, but we left a lot of open entrances. And um, so they play 80,000 rounds on the south course of right. Torrey Pines. Wow, wow. wow. Uh, amazing. And it's, a, it's a cash cow for the city. Yes, it sure is. And uh, <laughs> so, and you have two great champions with two, you know, modestly under par scores um, because of the green contours, the green angles. But what you do, is, but the bunkers are really out far enough so that the higher handicapper doesn't reach them off the tee. When they play it during the year, they cut the rough down. So you can expand the rough, and it's a Kakuya rough. So it's tough. When we redid it the second time for, before uh, the, two, the last U.S. Open that Ron won, we had to deal with the PGA Tour and the USGA. Right. So we had right. the, the PGA Tour, they wanted wider fairways. USGA wanted narrower fairways. Fortunately, in the winter, we oversee with Rye, so we could go wider fairways for the tour event, the Farmers Insurance classic and then the rye would go out and then we'd have narrower fairways for the u.s open nobody's ever heard this before no, uh, no so I, had, had to, I hadn't either i'm glad love we this. had to, go ahead. <laughs> we had to to uh to please two masters in yeah. this thing i mean and we did uh and what we did in uh in in like guess 19 when we redid it again we uh we, we upgraded tory pines again before the last u.s open we got rid of the short bunkers and added longer bunkers. And man, if you watch the Farmers Insurance Classic this year, those bunkers came into play all over that golf course. Right. And it made it a formidable challenge. I think it's uh, exactly what you are saying. One of the best courses that you can transition from championship play to everyday play and be very successful in both regards. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's a great point. Um, the, um, uh, I, I want to med talk a little bit about Hazeltine um, as I sort of think back to some of these courses you've worked on, your dad. That one, um, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but that one seems to have gotten changed maybe as much as any of the courses over time from the first U.S. Open in 1970 to today. And I mean, it's still, you know, obviously, uh, you know, holds new ma major tournaments, had the, you know, U.S. Open 91 had a couple of PGAs, Ryder Cups and stuff. Um, is that fair? I mean, that one has really changed a lot over the years, probably as much as any of the courses you've worked on. Is that fair? Well, um, when my father did it, uh, he had a limited budget. He right. probably didn't move enough dirt. He didn't take out the blindness. And um, in the U.S. Open in 1971, the uh, pros did not like the blindness. And so... Right. Uh, and they didn't like uh, the 16th hole, which is a par three. Right. So, uh, so um, he changed uh, that and, and made the 17th hole the par three. They didn't like the 17th; it was a short little par four, but you could get a lot of trouble off the tee. Um, and so he, my father, flipped, um, made made 16 one of the great par fours. Well, it is. It's a world. tremendous par four, right? And uh, and then I added the tee on top couple of years ago so now you hit it off of an elevated tee behind the 15 so you know there's more chance the ball is going to go offline hit the creek that i put in on the left right right or go into lake hazeltine 
Right. Um, and then 17 is a really good part three. And, but it changed as the game changed. And um, they, they, because they, uh, the pros did not like the course much the first year, but it wasn't the course itself. The wind blew so much the first day. Right. The scores were really off the charts high, but yes. it, was the, it was the weather factor. It wasn't the golf right. course. But right. um, it wasn't popular because the scores were so high and uh, the good players actually didn't prevail that that so uh, i've been i've been working there for 25 years making it better they got the u.s amateur there this year right they've had several right. amateurs and our greatest we brought to get the two rider cups that's unusual and to get it is the pga um i'm very proud of what we accomplished uh, oh you should be yeah. by making those changes yes yeah absolutely um uh yeah i know i mean i remember i think it was what Todd Heffelfinger um, was the USGA president who was kind of the founding drive behind the course with your dad. And, um, but yeah, from, from that rough start, you know, with the weather and, and everything in 1970, it's a great course. And as you say, I mean, the, the proofs in the pudding, US, not just US Opens, not just PGAs, US Amateurs, Ryder Cups, all of them. So it's become a terrific course. And with my wife having grown up in Minneapolis, I've never played it, but I, Minnesota, Notwithstanding, it doesn't have a long season. They love their golf up there. They're really passionate. Oh, they're, avid, they're avid golfers. I mean, you have no idea. And they'll play when there's snow on the ground up there. <laughs> but the, let me just say about the proof in the pudding, something I've never really said before. Yeah, but take please. a look at my career. Uh, the beauty of the courses that I've redone, it, they weren't one-and-done courses. I mean, Atlanta Athletic Club got two PGA championships. You know, Belle Reeve um, got a PGA and a President's Cup. You know, Hazeltine got two PGAs, two Ryder Cups. Um, it, the greatest uh, feeling I have is when they – you have a true championship test if they play it and then go back to right. it again. Um, and I think that's that's what I'm probably most proud of regarding the championship work I've done. You know, that's a great point. And I noticed that, you know, in kind of preparing for our conversation and looking through your website and all the courses, um, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I noticed that not just the repeated championships, but you seem to, and this speaks well of you, you develop these long-term relationships with these courses. You've kind of alluded to this in our conversation. It's not only not one and done for the championship, not one and done for you either. You seem to have these ongoing relationships with all of these great courses, which Obviously, you know, that also speaks to, you know, your client being happy with your work because they continue to use them and you keep, you know, revising the courses. It's almost like, you know, like you said, Hazeltine's 25 years. You've got longstanding relationships at a lot of these courses. Well, let me tell you how that happened. Um, Herbert Warren Wynn, the great golf writer, yeah, um, right. really took a liking to me because he did a profile of my father back in the 50s and got to know me as a kid and he went to Yale and I went to Yale. Right. right. And um, so when I did the country club over at Brookline and got rave reviews and, and uh, spent a lot of time uh, redoing that golf course or restoring it and redoing it. Uh, he called me into his office. He did an article in the New Yorker and I went in there three times to sit with him at the Yale club. And he said, don't do what a lot of these architects have done when they've gotten well-known to famous. Don't, take on too much work, leave a legacy. And uh, so I've followed that mantra. I've, I've tried to take very limited work 
Uh, I think Pete died did the same thing. Um, and uh, and do it right, uh, leave something that stands the test of time. And I think that's why I got so many repeat championship tests. Now, that's going to change a little bit because the USGA now is going sort of on a rotation. They're, they're, right. they're going and they're going to pre-depression golf courses, right. uh, much like the, the British Open. So um, I will probably end up having more championship golf courses under my belt than any other golf course architect because they're not going back to new golf courses much anymore. They're, they're going they're going into a rotation. No, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, they have these anchor sites now and, and, you know, it is kind of remarkable, right? I think they're booked out. I just saw Miriam, Miriam got 2050. I mean, <laughs> which they're booked out quite a ways into the future. Um, they've definitely sort of gone that direction. That's true. Um, yeah, uh, that, and that is interesting. Marion has, that's to, that's for the uh, 500th anniversary of Ben Hogan's victory after right. his accident. And I right. was at that tournament. And if you look on my you website, really? you'll see a picture of me behind Lloyd Mangrum, George Fazio, and Ben Hogan with a trophy. I'm the kid uh, over their shoulder on the porch. That's me in the picture. You'll see it on wow. my website. Wow, I'm going to have to go find that. I mean, that is so famous. Everyone, the most famous picture, of course, is Hogan hitting his one iron to the 18th hole and stuff. But I'm going to go look for that one. I love that. That was you. You. You're like you're what nine years old, probably, right? I mean, you're a young kid. Yeah, just a kid. But uh, that was my first U.S. Open. Uh, that wow. my dad took me to. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, well, I'll get you out of here on this. Kind of maybe let's uh, for wrap up. Look forward a little bit. Um, and you know, what do you sort of see as um, as we go look forward into the future? the main challenges um, on the horizon for building golf courses. I mean, I sit out here in Southern California where, you know, environmental concerns are particularly significant. I mean, you wouldn't know it this week with our rain, but, you know, water is, of course, an issue out here and environmental concerns. And I'm just sort of curious um, kind of how you think about it and, and how you sort of think of the future of golf architecture with sustainability and environmental concerns that we have today. Well, I think water is the major issue. Um, and I think especially in Southern California, like at um, El Cab, I'm very proud of that job. I mean, I think that's now comparable to all those great golf courses in L.A. Yeah. Um, and we, we changed the grass to Santa Ana, Bermuda. So we have probably 30 percent less requirement of water. We did the same thing um, at Carica Park <clears throat> up uh, near near Oakland. Uh, we we introduce Santa Ana uh, Bermuda grass there so you would have less water usage um, and I think just uh, the, the integrated pest management programs have uh, really gotten rid of the bad materials that were used on golf courses um, I think as long as we have good greens I think we don't have to have perfect fairways uh, I think that the real problem I think in, in just golf itself is that when I was a kid we we didn't have irrigation systems, so we'd lose our poanya in the middle of the of the um, summer because it would die because it without the water, right. uh, and the, that was great because the ball went a lot farther. And, uh, <laughs> so and we we accepted the poor conditions, and we didn't have to have a perfect lie to hit a good shot. We made sure we hit the ball first. Right. Um, right. So I think I think maybe in the future we got to get used to having 
per, you know, really good greens. Uh, I'm a little worried about the green speeds uh, because green chairmen want these green speeds at 13 plus. And, these, and a lot of the old greens are not really suited to that. And you really don't want to change some of the old great golf course greens. I, I kind of hope that green speeds go back down to like 10, 10 and a half. Um, and then it's either easier to maintain and, and you're not going to lose them. Right. Um, right. So I, I think that's a bad trend, the, the fast green speeds for the everyday player. Yeah, go have the fast green speeds for the pros. But, you know, the pros like fast green speeds better than slow green speeds because all they have to do is get the ball started. They right. don't have to hit it. When they hit it, right. they have a lot more chance of making an error. Right. Um, so if That's you look right. at old Bobby Locke and Arnold yeah. Palmer and his crew, they, they wrist-putted and whacked that ball. So um, I, I just think we got to get away from the extremely fast green speeds. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it it, it makes some of the – you made all the right points. I, I agree with you. And and I will just add, you know, I've played El Cab so – I actually never played it before you did the renovation, but I've had the pleasure of playing it a number of times the last couple of years, and it's fabulous. Um, and I know we had John Bodenhammer from the USGA on a couple of months ago, and I know they're excited – to go there next year for the USGA uh, GA girls junior. It's a, a great course. Um, so I, I agree with you on that. They'll have a well, great turn. Uh, Bodenhammer is doing a great job for the USGA and uh, he really knows what he's doing. And I think that's why they've had some successful US opens under his aegis. And um, he sent, when he went to LCAB, he sent me a, a masterful, wonderful email about how, nice. how, how, uh, great the golf course was and um you know my my object object uh, in doing that uh, redesign uh was to have it thought to be uh, comparable to the other great golf courses in the la area and i think uh it's becoming that and i think when they have the usga junior girls uh that'll be another uh feather in their cap and i think they'll have more tournaments in the future Definitely. And I know from talking to um, uh, the folks that run it and Tasha, who's the you know head golf person there, I mean, they're excited to have more and more tournaments there. Um, and and um, they've got a track now that is, will be great for tournament golf, uh, thanks to you. So um, that'll be exciting. Well, Tasha um, is, uh, is just a phenomenal golf pro. She is. And uh, Phil Lopez is a great yeah. manager. And the membership... Uh, they're they're really very proud of their uh, facility, um, and, and I'm I'm glad to be a part of, of their team. No, and 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 I know how thrilled they all were with with the work you did, Reese. I really appreciate this has been a great conversation as I knew it would. I appreciate. I know you are a busy fellow and and don't do a lot of these. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really enjoyed it. Well, I want to throw one more thing. I'm doing a course called Macklemore in the mountains of. Uh, uh, Georgia and okay. Lookout Mountain. I'm on the cliff. Um, we're going to open it this year. There's a Hilton Hotel. Okay. Um, it it's going to be uh, one of a kind. I don't think there's uh, a a go. It's almost like being a, a pebble beach overlooking the valley. Wow. Um, and um, so I'm 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 still very fortunate. I'm getting some great sites and great sites help make a great architect. Uh, so I hope <laughs> that uh, I keep getting these great sites. 
I'm sure you will. And we'll be at, when is that one opening? Uh, this new one? Oh, this fall. This, this fall. fall? So, we'll look yeah. for that. Um, and um, uh, again, you know, congratulations on such a phenomenal career, which as you allude to, is it's continuing. Uh, but thank you so much and continued success. My pleasure. Great being with you. Thank you.